Uh, I do hope that you are making plans to come to the Thanksgiving dinner. It really is one of my favorite things that we do at Melanie Park. Great time of fellowship. And I'll have to tell you, it is really one of the one single times of the year that I get to eat Brussels sprouts, canned beets, squash relish, things that I'll never see in my own home that I get a chance to eat, you know, while we're here. So I look forward to that. But it is a great time of fellowship, and I hope that you do make plans to come. As we get started, I want you to think back to when you were a kid and remember how fun it was to dress up in costumes and play make-believe games. I know we all did it. In fact, a few weeks ago when we had the Harvest Festival, I think that's why that's so fun for kids. is because they get to all dress up in costume and it's like a big game of, of make-believe. And if you'll read in the back of the bulletin, you'll see some of the great things that happened uh, this year with our Harvest Festival. But it, it was a great time and I think the kids had a ball. And I know in our family, both our boys enjoyed make uh, costumes and our youngest, Grant, is a big fan of costumes. And uh, his name is Grant Isaac. It's translated literally, great laughter. And that's what he brings to our family. He drink, brings us great laughter. Let me show you some of my favorite costumes that, that Grant has won. Here he is. So we're just in a store, and he sees uh, something that he can make into a costume. So boom, he's in character, ready to roll. So that was one of them. He also likes to do it with his friends. So this is Grant and uh, his friend Jackson Landusky. And that's Mario, also known as Mario and Luigi, Right? And uh, they have uh, uh, swimming noodles as lightsabers, so there's a little bit of confusion there. But uh, anyway, the next one I think actually shows, uh, there they are, the clone troopers and Boba Fett. I believe that's right. I don't know if I've got that exactly right. But again, you can see we've got the laser gun and the six-shooter because you never know (laughs) which one you might need. And just to make sure you understand that uh, I want to include everybody, this next one shows Grant with uh, Sweet Sarah Haverding, also known as a pirate, right? And that was at Grant's birthday party. The next one uh, is one of my favorites. <laughs> Isn't that good? This was duct tape date at school. And he came up with this whole thing himself. He had the, the, the duct tape boat tie and made glasses and the whole shooting match. So that was pretty fun. Let's look at the next one. This is the scientist. And so he's got his lab coat on. And let's see, I think there's one or two more. Oh, this is... <laughs> This is for our senior saints in the congregation. This is Graham going, and this is his uh, breakdance uh, outfit. He can bust a move in that, so uh, that's pretty good. And I think there's, this is from when we were in D.C., and he wanted to be an astronaut, so this is from, from D.C. And I think the last one is uh, backpacking. This isn't really a costume. I just like the picture, so. <laughs> but we all remember how fun it was as we were kids to dress up in costume and, and play games of make-believe because when we put that costume on we kind of entered into that world and we assumed the role of that character last week paul instructed us to to lay aside the old self and this week as we will see this morning he'll talk about putting on the new self the language he uses literally talks about putting taking off and putting on clothes and that's why if you have an niv and you look at verse 12 it says clothe yourselves And it gives some examples of things that that we are to wear. Paul seems to want to make sure we understand that this is not about wearing costumes to cover up our sin. This is about putting on a new heavenly wardrobe to replace your old worldly garments. 
where that outward appearance reflects the inward change that takes place because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's as we said in verse 10, this idea of being renewed into the image of Christ so that your life increasingly over time reflects His attributes. That's who you are. And that's what Paul will walk us through this morning. So let's take some time to pray before we look at that together. Father, we want to pray and, and ask this morning that, that we would understand with increasing clarity who we are in you, the true self, not the costumes that we so often put on to pretend to be something that we're not. But Father, we want to understand who we are because of who you are in us and what you've called us to in the life we are to live through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. That's our prayer, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you will, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, and let's look at the passage together. Picking up where we left off last, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. And Paul says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Last week, Paul instructed us to to lay aside the old self And all of those evil practices. So that as he now explains, we can put on the new self and and clothe ourselves literally with the attributes of Christ. He begins by describing what gives us the right to wear these clothes. In verse 12 he says, those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. This is describing who you are in Christ, the the real you. Last week we talked about how important it is not to, to put on that veneer of Christian values to cover up a sinful heart. Or, as we said this morning, to wear a costume to, to cover up sin. Paul says, let the world see what God has achieved because of who you are in Christ. Chosen. Holy. Beloved, as you hear those words, I I hope they sound familiar to you. Because those were words that that God used to describe His Son, Jesus Christ. You'll remember when Jesus was baptized and that voice of God spoke and it said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We also know, as Matthew records, Isaiah's prophecy that also speaks of of Jesus. God then saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. Even the demons cried out to Jesus and said, We know who you are. They said, You are the Holy One. Of God. Chosen. Beloved. Holy. Paul is saying, when you 
Put your faith and trust in Christ. God looks at you in the same way that He sees His one and only Son. Chosen. Holy. Beloved. So live out of who you are in Christ. And not just something you're pretending to be. Clothe yourself, he says. And he gives us some examples. Clothe yourself with, with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And as you see those attributes again, I hope you recognize that, that those are attributes of Christ. Let's look at them individually as we think through what this means. Because it has with it this idea of what Paul's already told us in verse 10 when he says, be transformed into the image of Christ. And that very much is a life that is increasingly reflecting the attributes of Christ. That's what it means to be transformed into His image. Wearing that heavenly wardrobe because of the attributes that are of Christ evidenced in you. As Christ in you is lived through you. As you relate to people and interact within the world. To put it another way, these are like holy (laughs) hand-me-downs. Where what is true of Christ's behavior becomes increasingly true for you. The first one he lists is compassion. It literally means bowels of mercy. (laughs) You've heard me use that Greek word before. It's one of my favorites. Splunknesimo. That's the word for compassion, and it sounds like what it means. It's something guttural. It's something down deep, because it's intended to communicate compassion as the emotion that is felt so deeply down in your gut that it moves you to action. We see that evidenced in the life of Christ over and over again. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says that seeing the people... Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And we know that that compassion moved him to action. He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. He fed the hungry. His compassion, his concern moved them to action. Now, I don't know what it is in recent years, but I have uh, had this uh, interest in Nazi Germany. Don't be alarmed with that statement. The reason is, the reason is, is because I could not understand how a society could stoop to a level of such depravity unchecked. And how it came to the place where it did what it did for so long. How in the world did that happen? And so I've just been intrigued with reading histories and, and biographies of, of this time in, our, in, our his, in the history of the world, and, and it's been fascinating. And recently I ran across a, a quote from a, a Lutheran pastor who lived during that time of Nazi Germany, and his quote is quite revealing. Listen to what he says. He said, the Nazis came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I was not a communist. And then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because... I was not a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I was Protestant, and so I didn't speak up. But then they came for me. By that time, there was no one to speak up for anyone. That's how that happens. When people who can make a difference remain 
silent. That's how that happens. Compassion is the attribute of Christ that is evidenced in our life when we see a need and we cannot look away. That's why one of my favorite characters during this time in history is a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a Christian believer who lived in the midst of Nazi Germany, and he was a man of compassion who did not turn away. And ultimately, it cost him his life. But he stood strong for the cause of Christ. He had compassion. But that compassion has to be combined with that next attribute that Paul lists, the the attribute of kindness. It's that willingness to get involved with with a winsome love. The passage that comes to mind for me is Romans 2, 4, that says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And if you think about that, it's the kindness of God that kept Him from being separated from us. To stand apart in judgment, choosing instead to enter in to the world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. To win our hearts through an act of of sacrificial love. That's kindness. He is the visible image of the invisible God and in Him we see these attributes of of kindness and, and gentleness. Slow to anger. Unfailing in compassion. It's that same kindness of Christ that is evidenced in our life when we're willing to give blessings in response to insults, when we're patient, when wronged, entering into the lives of others who may not reciprocate with that same heart of kindness. There was a a, a quote that I ran across from Martin Luther that absolutely convicted the socks off me, and I didn't want to do that alone, so I'm going to share it with you this morning. It says this, listen closely as it relates to kindness and being involved. He said, the kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies. Not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Listen to what he says next. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you were doing, who would have ever been spared. If Christ were to have done what you were doing, who would have ever been spared? Compassion and kindness is combined as that that willingness to get involved with a winsome love, an unwillingness to, to look away. But we can't do that if we're in it for ourselves. Because it's a lot easier to look, look away when, when this is all about me. It's only when we care for the needs of others is more important than our own that we begin to get involved. And that's why that next attribute of humility is so important. It's a willingness to put aside our personal needs for the sake of someone else. The picture that immediately comes to mind for me, and I'm sure for you as well, is that image of Jesus stooping, putting, down the t- putting on the towel, and then washing the disciples' feet. The king of kings, assuming the role of a servant, 
so that we might understand how we are called to serve the kings. Because what does he tell us? Go and do as you have seen. Do as I do. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, just a few books over to the left of Colossians. Ephesians chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 4. So much of what you see in Ephesians and Colossians echoes each other. And look at chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul writes. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. And why? To be diligent, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When I think about this idea of humility within the context of the body of Christ, I think about our decision to put aside our personal rights in order to preserve spiritual unity. It's that attitude that says, I'm not in this primarily for myself. I'm considering the needs of others as more important than my own for the glory of the King in whom I serve. That's the heart of humility. But we all know when we think about assuming that kind of role as we relate to other people, it's not easy, is it? This is a difficult thing. And that's why that next attribute is so significant because it's the attribute of gentleness. And gentleness very literally means strength under control. What comes to mind to me in an image that is often used is the power of a horse. If you've ever been to the, the horse races, you know that before they're walking around, they're, they're, they're gentle, they're, they're just moving slowly. But when you open those gates and that power is unleashed, it is amazing to see what was within them that was held in control. And that's what this idea is to bring with us, is that, that strength under control. There's a passage in Matthew 11:28 that says, Come unto me, Jesus speaking, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, Jesus says. And here's why. He says, because I am gentle and humble of heart. It takes great strength to consider the needs of someone else as more important than your own. Great strength to give Blessing in response to insult. Great strength to be patient when wronged. And the other reason I think that he talks about getting rest when we come to him is because Jesus helps us understand what burdens are ours to carry and those that which are not. To understand that when we are insulted because of our faith that we are not to take that personally because we are not the ones who have offended them. It's the name of Christ that we stand for. Be humble. And finally, usually the attribute that is listed last is, of course, what? Patience. We had to wait to get to it. And patience is that willingness to wait without abandoning hope. There's a great passage in 1 Timothy. If you would turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is Paul speaking again and describing to his son in the faith, Timothy, about the patience of God. And listen to what he says as he, as he applies it to his life. Verse 15. 
He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I, Paul, am foremost of all. And yet, for this reason, I found mercy. And here's the reason. In order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul looks at his own life and he says, look, I was not even heading in the right direction. I was not moving closer to Christ. In fact, I was on the path of destroying those who had chosen to follow the one that I did not believe was the Messiah. That's where I was going. And yet, God intervened as the person of Jesus Christ literally stood in His path and revealed Himself to what would then become one of the most significant apostles to speak the words that we read on mornings like this because of the patience of God. We need to understand that that God's perspective when it comes to patience is, is a matter of timing and not a matter of time. Because we know in Scripture, Peter says that one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. And when we understand what it means to have the patience of God, we won't lose patience. Because we believe that nothing, nothing is outside the hope of God's powerful redemption. And so we can wait and put our trust in Him. Clothe yourselves with the attributes of Christ, so that Christ in you is seen through you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus as you care enough to get involved in the lives of those around you. Humbly serving the needs of others is more important than your own. Patiently pursuing without abandoning hope because you personally understand the power of God's redemptive work the Holy Spirit for those who trust in Him. There is a British pastor by the name of Reverend White who said a very simple but profound statement when he said, when the bucket you carry is full, your feet will always get wet. Think about that. When the bucket you carry is full, your feet will always get wet. I heard that and I thought about our passage this morning and I thought, You know, when our heart is filled with Christ, His attributes spill over into every aspect of our life to the point that it affects how we relate to one another in the same way that He has related to us. And that's the point of verse 13 where Paul says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. He begins by instructing us to to bear with one another. And that thought has the idea here that that there's no offense implied. He gets to that when he talks about forgiving each other. But here he just says, bear with one another. I believe he wants us to, to understand the importance of living in peace with those who are not like us. Who don't do things exactly like we do. But who share our faith in Jesus Christ. This is unity without uniformity. 
It's the idea that we've already looked at in Philippians chapter 4, where we are to have forbearance with one another, putting aside our own personal pride to live in a way that benefits someone else. But the reality is that when two or more are gathered, (laughs) there will be conflict. There will be opportunities to demonstrate forgiveness. And he tells us to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. So would it make sense for us to just take a minute to consider what that forgiveness looks like? And as I did that, I felt like there were four key things that represent the attributes of Christ's forgiveness of us. And and the first one is this. It was the offended party, God, who took the initiative. You remember that passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've looked at that passage in Ephesians. that says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't move. God moved first. He took the initiative. That's the way His forgiveness works. We also see from Christ's example that it was unearned. You all know the passage in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, By grace you have been saved, through faith. And, and that, not of, your, not of yourselves, it is the gift from God. And not as a result of works that anyone should boast. The forgiveness of Christ was initiated by God and unearned by us. And it's unconditional. The passage that I think of is Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, The wages of sin is death. But what? The free gift. You didn't pay for it. Christ did. But through faith, it is given to you that which He accomplished on your behalf. So the offended party took the initiative. It was unearned. It was unconditional. And then as we've already seen in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, He has forgiven us all our sins. His forgiveness is unlimited. Past, present, and future. That is the example of Christ that we are then called to follow. The offended party taking the initiative, not waiting for it to be earned, but giving it in love, making it unconditional so there's no strings attached, and ensuring that it is unlimited so that you don't hold a grudge. That's what we are called to to do. There's a parable that speaks to this that always hits me. If you will, turn to Rome, or Matthew chapter uh, 18. Romans chapter 18. Not Romans. Matthew chapter 18. Sorry. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21. And I want you to listen to this in light of the forgiveness that we are called to follow. I love Peter's question that always represents what we have in our heart but are afraid to ask. And Peter came out and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He's being generous. Up to seven times? Jesus said, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, he gives this parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me equate that for you. That's several million dollars, even some suggestions up to a billion dollars. The reason that I believe Jesus chose that amount is because it was a figure that he could never 
ever, ever possibly repay. Okay? That's the reason he gave that number. He could never, ever possibly repay it. But since he had, did not have the means to repay, and I would add, nor would he ever, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. No, he won't, because he can't. And then the Lord of the slave felt compassion. He's moved to action, released him, and forgave him his debt. That's important, because the man could not have possibly repaid him. The only way that he would get out from underneath it is if it was relinquished by the owner, forgiven the debt. But then this same slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's one day's wage. One day's wage. Look at what he does. He seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. The exact same statement as we read before. But he was unwilling, however, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. Now that doesn't make sense. How can he pay back what he owes if he's in prison? He was going to be indebted for life. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came to report to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because... You entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on our fellow, on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And then his Lord was moved to anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that he was owed him, which would be never. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. The point here is what Paul is trying to tell us in Colossians. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And we can only appreciate the significance of what he's asking us to do when we understand the magnitude of his forgiveness of us. A debt we could not have possibly repaid. There was no way. And he forgave it. We read in Colossians that he canceled the certificate of debt. Then why in the world... Like that slave, would we turn around and refuse to forgive others for something so small in comparison to something so great? Forgive as you have been forgiven. Take off the old. Put on the new. So that Christ's forgiveness will spill over into every aspect of your life and the relationships that you have with others as the Holy Spirit transforms you into the image of His Son. Clothe yourself with the attributes of Christ, demonstrating His heart of forgiveness, and then girding yourself with love. That's what He says in verse 14 of our passage. He says, And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I, I think of putting all, all these clothes that He's telling us to clothe ourselves in, these attributes of Christ, and then love is like the belt that we put on that holds everything in place, secures it so that it can function as it's intended. When I was looking at this passage, I was looking at some of the original language and I, real, I recognized the word for bond. It was syndesmos. 
And I looked back and I thought, I remember that from, I had to go way back in the vault. But back in the vault, there was a word in physical therapy school, syndesmosis. I couldn't remember exactly what it was, so I called Carrie and said, remind me again what syndesmosis is. He says, oh yeah, he says, that's that, that really strong ligament that holds bones together. One example is the, the ligament between your fibula and your ankle. It's so strong because it's what is necessary to keep those secure so that the foot can function as it's intended, and it's what essentially enables you to walk. I thought, yeah, that's right. I remember that. And it just reminded me that that's what the the bond of love does within the body of Christ. It allows us to function with a purpose by holding us together. Very literally, it is love is the bond that leads to, to perfect unity. Now, I don't want you to turn there because I'm going to and I want you to listen. And I want you to listen to these words of Jesus spoken right before his crucifixion in his final prayer as he had you and I in mind and listen carefully to what he says. He says in chapter 17, verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's you. And this is what he says. That they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they may be in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. And they may be perfected in unity that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as you loved me. You see, that tells us that that, that bond of, of unity through that belt of love, holding the garments of the attributes of Christ, are intended to bring glory to His name. That is our purpose. That the world may believe that Jesus was the Savior who was sent for the forgiveness of our sins. He has created His body, fit us together so that we might reveal His attributes to the world in a way that has taken place because we are being renewed into the image of His Son by the work of His Spirit, sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron to the praise and glory of His name so that the world may know that Jesus is our Savior. And that forgiveness is found only in Him. He is our only hope. Now, as we think about this passage and consider what Paul is instructing us to do, to to put aside the old and, and to put on the new, I think this is really important for all of us in kind of this post election haze. There's a lot that went on in the last few weeks, isn't there? And there's a lot that's occupying our mind as we consider what our future holds and what may be in store for us. In addition to what uh, we saw all throughout the elections, there were some that were significant within our culture. Two more states passed ballot measures for same-sex marriage. Two states passed ballot measures to approve recreational use of marijuana. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would ever see that day. Our national debt is $17 billion. Violent crimes over the last year in the United States alone increased up to 20%. 
Our world is filled with wars and rumors of wars. I received something just this morning from Joel Rosenberg, who's in Israel as a believer, speaking to uh, people in Israel. And while he's there today, this morning, there were 60 rockets that came over in, from the Gaza Strip. Libya has moved tanks into uh, that area um, for the first time since 1973. All across the globe, there are wars and rumors of wars. And I don't know about you, but I, I've been intrigued with all the, national, uh, 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 the natural disasters that have been occurring. And I ask the question, okay, is this normal? Is, or is this more than normal? Are I just paying attention more or is this really excessive? And so I went and did a little research and, and found something from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that said that our patterns that we are currently seeing are the most extreme on record. The trajectory of our world is not going in the right direction. But here's the good news. And I want you to listen to this. Maybe. Maybe this is what needs to happen. For the church of Jesus Christ to come alive. Because I believe we have been lulled to sleep. It is increasingly clear that we cannot, nor should we have ever expected our government to solve the moral and ethical problems of our society. They don't have the answer. But the church of Jesus Christ does. And it is important that the church no longer remains silent. It's time for us to live our lives as Paul is describing where the excellencies of Christ are seen in us and through us and in our relationships so that everything we do gives glory to Christ. I want us to take to heart the words of that Lutheran pastor because if we remain silent too long, eventually there will be no one left to speak. The church needs to come alive. We must be willing to enter in. And hear me on this. This is not about getting more people into the church. This is about getting the church into the lives of more people. Willing to enter in with the attributes of Christ. Because you are chosen, holy, and beloved. You are held together as a body of Christ, through a unity of faith. Called not to pass laws, but to change lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Living our lives as evidence of God's transforming power. I am unashamed, and I tell you with great conviction, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. If we don't turn to Him in a heart of complete and unconditional surrender, then what He said in chapter 3, verse 6 will in fact be the case where Paul writes, For it is on account of these things, speaking of the immorality, impurity, passion, all the things that we see plaguing our world, He says, on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. It is a promise. I'm only telling you what it says. Our only hope is the saving message of Jesus Christ lived through the lives of His disciples. 
Spiritual revival begins with transformed lives. When the attributes of Christ in you are seen through you as you relate to those around you. He has created his body, fit us together in ways that reveal his attributes to the world. Jesus Christ is our only hope. And church, you are the means by which he intends to get that message to the world. We cannot be silent. It's time for us to wake up and start walking in a manner worthy of our calling, putting aside the old self, putting on the new self to the praise and glory of his name because here's the reason why we have the answer. We have the answer. Why would we not give that message? Let's pray. God, forgive us for remaining silent way too long. For perhaps waiting for somebody else to do what we should be doing all along. Help us to live out the attributes that we saw in you and praise God that you were willing not to sit back and watch what happens, but to enter in and to share through the demonstration of your love and the sacrifice of your life on the cross, the message of hope, of faith in Jesus Christ. May we take that same example and live out those same attributes of compassion and humility to put on that heart of kindness and gentleness, to be patient, knowing that With you, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day and you are not slow. Your judgment has not come because you are patient. You don't want any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. And may we as your people wake up and fulfill the mission that you've called us to serve. Proclaiming through our lives and through our words salvation through Christ alone. We have the answer. May we live that life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.